Right, well, it's brilliant to be speaking to you live via technology. This is something I haven't done for quite a long time, is deliver a talk live on Sunday morning. Um, and we are doing it like this. I wish we were in church together being able to do it, but we can't. Uh, sorry, excuse me. It's so live that Joe's looking at it on her phone at 20 seconds delay. Can you turn that off, please, love? Thanks. Um, so uh, Chris has my slides and they're in a different location so um, hopefully we've uh, got this all worked out and you'll be able to see the slides and the first slide should come up now because uh, the talk uh, today, well done Chris, good job, hopefully we're going to get the communication right um, but we'll laugh about it if we don't, hopefully this will all go smoothly. We're continuing our series called Be Still. Now for many of us stillness is a real challenge, even before Covid kicked off our normal everyday life was hectic. We do live in a busy, busy world, don't we? And it is a challenge to find the space to be still before God. And while for some of us, lockdown has brought an opportunity to really slow down and take that time, for many, many of us, this pandemic has life has just made life even more intense. You know, either we're working hard on the front line or, and we're really stretched, possibly even close to burnout, or we're working from home, trying to teach the kids at the same time, keep the family going whilst maybe also looking out for elderly or vulnerable parents or others around us who are in need of some, some support. Maybe we're struggling with our mental health or we're missing our friends and feeling isolated. And by stillness, we're not just talking about being physically still, you know, the external sort of away from the noise, although that's important. We're also thinking about an internal stillness, a, a mental and emotional and spiritual space where we can be with God and be restored to ourselves. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? But what does it look like and how do we get there? Um, and at this stage, I just want to recommend this wonderful book to you about this whole topic. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Maybe some of you have read it already. It's quite easy to read. It's very practical and it's really well worth your time. If you're a reader at all, um, I would recommend you to buy this book or listen to it even on audiobook. And in about two or three weeks time, we're going to be looking at some, some of the material specifically from that book. But um, get ahead of it. Have a look. It's If you're thinking about this whole topic of stillness and quiet and how to do that in our lives, then this book's got some really helpful stuff. Now, last week, Paul talked about stillness by, uh, he pressed into it, talked about deliberately focusing our hearts and our love and our attention onto one thing, onto Jesus. Paul was saying that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything else sort of fades into the background. And today I want to develop that idea a little bit more by thinking about our attention and what we give our attention to and what impact that has on the rest of our lives and what happens when our attention is distracted away to other things. And so here's some, um, have a look at the next slide. We're going to look at Psalm 73 together. And so if you do have a Bible or you have the Bible on your phone, I suggest you turn it up. We're going to be working through pretty much most of this Psalm. Um, and as we do that, we're going to be exploring these two key ideas. The first one is that distraction leads to disillusionment. And the second one is that attention leads to adoration and I'll unpack that a little bit more but before I get into that I want to ask you a challenging question how good is your concentration span has anyone reached for the phone yet since I started doing my talk you don't have to admit to that that's fine but how good are you at focusing your attention onto one consistent thing if you are brave then do put a note in the chat about that for example could you sit through an hour of tv without once reaching for your phone or looking at some other distraction? Could you focus on one thing for an hour? How about a whole movie? How good are we at sitting through a whole film 
without getting distracted? Or what about reading? How long can you read for in one sitting? Is it a whole chapter? Is it a whole book? How long can we just sit quietly for without being distracted? How about, how about just spending some time with God? Now, my attention span, being honest, it varies, um, usually depending on a bunch of factors, but I, I think it's probably got shorter as I've got older and also as technology has developed. You see, when I was a kid, there weren't many distractions around. Pretty much we only had the TV and the TV when I was a kid had three channels and they weren't, didn't even have programs all day. They put the test card up for half the day. And even when they did have programs, there were only three channels and they weren't that good. And as I say to my kids, there really wasn't that much choice in what we could watch. There was some great stuff, but nothing like the, nothing like the variety that we get nowadays. And of course, with the rise of the internet and home computers, all of a sudden we have access to an increased, massively increased information flow, entertainment and data coming straight into our houses in ways that we perhaps hadn't dreamed of before. Even more, this, I remember the first time I had got access to the World Wide Web, I remember somebody had told me to look up the NASA website because they had awesome pictures of the stars in space and I remember going looking at them and uh, for those of you who are a certain age will remember this with me I also remember the screen these beautiful pictures of NASA but loading a bar at a time as we were on dial-up internet maybe you can remember that too nowadays it's a completely different ball game isn't it we are literally carrying this stuff everywhere we go on our phones on our mobile devices there's a constant stream of data coming at us 24 7 and it's always there and it's pretty impressive it's remarkable it has some wonderful uh, aims and and things but it also has an impact on our lives and on our attention span you know we and our family here aim to have a no phones at the meal table rule and most of the time we manage that but even then it's so hard isn't it you're in the middle of a conversation and you think oh what about such and such it's so hard not just to pull out your phone and dial up google and say oh, i'll just check that out because it's it kind of enhances the conversation it's a it's a great thing but it also potentially can be really addictive it's pretty hard to turn it off and it kind of goes everywhere with us, even into all those little moments of our day. And so here's a really brave question. If you are really brave, I'd love you to put the answer in the chat to this, but I'm not going to force you to. How many of us, let's own up, come on, let's admit this. How many of us have ever dropped our phone in the loo? Okay. How many, who's done that? Now, if we were in, it's a good job we're not in church right now, isn't it? Because if we were, you know, those of you who had would be looking around nervously thinking, oh, I wonder if they know it's me. According to Direct Line, in 2019, there were 1.8 million people in the UK who dropped their mobile phone down the loo. 1.8 million. I don't know, were you one of them? I know that somebody in this house was, but anyway. Research shows that on average, people use their phone on the toilet for 12 minutes a day that's the average 12 minutes I mean can you remember a time when there was just a little bit of peace and quiet in life and when people didn't when when people just went to the loo without taking their phones or their laptops yes their laptops there are stats on that too but let's not go there for now there is a battle for our attention and with so much data coming out a short term that we're having to make decisions all the time about what we retain and what we let go of. Um, because what happens is our brain attaches meaning to things and then we hold on to them. And if there's no meaning to it, then our brain just lets it go, which begs the question, what is important to us? What kind of things are really meaningful? What's worth remembering? What's worth putting our attention on? How do we decide how to attach meaning to something? Or as Jesus put it in Matthew's gospel, where is it? that we're storing up our treasures. 
Now we're going to read Psalm 73. It was written centuries ago, but it's hugely relevant today. And it's very much a psalm of two halves. And it describes two different cycles. A cycle of distraction, which leads to disillusionment. And a cycle of distortion, sorry, of adoration, sorry, of attention, which leads to adoration. And I'm going to, te- I'm, I, as we go through this, I want to challenge you just to reflect and think on where each of us would find ourselves on these cycles today. And I just want to say a thanks to John Tyson, who's um, a great pastor and preacher in New York, who I borrowed some of this material from. So let's kick off at the start of Psalm 73 and do follow it. Are we going to put the slides up as well? Thanks, Chris. And so the first three verses are up there. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, we don't know much about Asaph, who is the guy who wrote this psalm, except that he was one of the main worship leaders in the temple, serving King David and later King Solomon. He wrote songs. He ministered to God in the temple. He was a worship leader, a holy man. But from this psalm, we can tell that he was a worshipper who somehow took his eyes off God and got distracted. As you can see in verses two and three, he calls it slipping. He says, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. It started when he started to feel an extreme sense of envy. He was looking at the lives of others and wishing that his life was like theirs. Is that something that you have ever felt? I know that I have from time to time. I've looked, there's a guy around the corner from me, drives an incredible car. And I look at it sometimes, I think, I can't ever, ever find myself justifying spending that much money on a car, but it sure looks like fun to drive. You know, or what about some of the houses that are around where you are? I mean, what if I had that person's life? Oh, that looks like a really nice house. You know, the, the culture we live in, it seems permanently set up to distract us. Our media is full of triggers that are working all the time to get our attention and pull our attention away. Okay, often sensational or controversial or emotional. There's this 24 hour news cycle that we live in where everything is like a crisis or a drama where everyone has an opinion. Can you imagine one day if the newsreader came on and he just said, you know what, there's nothing really going on today. Go and spend some time with your family. (laughs) It wouldn't happen, would it? Um, And if it's not the news agenda, then it's the adverts or reality TV or documentaries or other people's Instagram feeds. All of it's designed to distract us away so that we can escape into some supposedly perfect fantasy life that somebody else is living. And it's very subtle, but potentially it's very easy to get sucked into. And of course, when that kind of distraction happens, it starts to affect our thinking and the way we actually see things. So let's look at the next part of the psalm, verse 4. It says, they have no struggles their bodies are healthy and strong. These are the people. This is the wicked and people and rich people that he's being envious of. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. I mean, it sounds unreal, doesn't it? The perfect lifestyle, the food, the sport, the travel, the fitness. Or is that just my Instagram feed? Therefore, he says, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. And then it goes on. uh, From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Next slide. Um, Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. And therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. 
Distraction will lead to distortion, as you can see in the box on the side of that slide. It's fair to say that Asaph was having a really bad day when he wrote this, and you can see how his perspective becomes more distorted. He's describing things that actually just can't be true. These wicked people who are so he's so envious of, their lives are completely perfect, according to him. No struggles, no problems, the perfect life. Well, that can't be true. Nobody lives that life. And then it, for him, it quickly switches over to being these people are evil, personified, callous hearts, malice, aggression, arrogance. You know, he's seeing all of their worst side. And actually, neither extreme is probably accurate. But Asaph's thinking has become distorted. And we have an enemy, Satan, whose number one aim is to distract us and to distort our thinking, to distort our values. It does, sometimes it doesn't take much for him to achieve that with us. Sometimes the distortion is strong and urgent and in your face and other times it's a much slower, more subtle seduction to just gradually lead us away from thinking the things that are helpful and right. So how does our thinking become so distorted? Well, as Paul mentioned last week, the things that we turn to our, the things that we turn our attention to, they leave their imprint on us. Let me give you an example to think about. Let's talk about TV. And let's talk specifically about the phrase binge watching. Have you heard that phrase? You know, if I said that I was going to binge eat or binge drink, well, that's not something that anybody would think is a very good thing to do. It's not a good idea. It's not a, not a good thing. But it seems like nowadays it's totally acceptable to binge watch something on TV, say a whole series in one go. In fact, in a survey, 61% of Netflix viewers said that their normal pattern is to binge watch between two and six episodes of any series at one time. Two and six episodes. Now, that's, that's somewhere between one and a half and six hours of TV. Six hours of TV in one go. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a whole day. In terms of the working day for some people, that's the, you know get up in the morning. What should I do? I'm going to watch Netflix and I'm going to watch a whole bunch of stuff. That's a whole a whole evening maybe. Have a look at this quote from a guy called Grant McCracken. He says TV viewers are no longer zoning out as a way to forget about their day. They are tuning in on their own schedule to a different world, getting immersed in multiple episodes or even multiple seasons of a show over a few weeks is a new kind of escapism that's especially welcomed today. If we're not careful, our viewing habits might mean that we end up taking our eyes off of God and focusing most of our time on things that not only distract, but start to actually distort our thinking. Here's an example of a series that Joe and I watched just a few episodes of, three or four episodes. I don't know if you've seen this, Escape to the Chateau. This uh, English couple, Dick and Angel, in their little piece of French heaven and you know they bought this dilapidated old chateau for a ridiculously cheap sum and they moved from England and they basically did it up and made it into a, a, an amazing video. it looks beautiful it's amazing it's like the dream the lifestyle it just and the way that the tv series has been made as you can see from there it looks wonderful you know I was only a few steps away from starting to google empty French chateaus for sale when I remembered that God hasn't called me to do that, he's called me to live and work here in Winchester. You know, it's very appealing, that sort of thing. Maybe you've seen that or it's something else for you. So thinking about this in relation to the psalm, Asaph had turned his eyes away from God and he is effectively binge watching his neighbours and friends' lifestyles. He's allowing his mind to focus on them and their lives 
as escapism from the reality he's living in right now. And you can see that his thinking becomes more and more distorted. And where that leads to, from distraction to distortion, it leads to discouragement. Let's have a look at the next part of the psalm. This is from verse 11. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, says Asaph, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. At this point, Asaph is starting to question whether God knows anything. Does God know anything? What's even the point of living a godly life? The inner turmoil and bitterness that he's expressing and experiencing is kind of it's, it's kind of beginning to really drill down right into him. Remember, this isn't just anyone. This is one of the temple's main worship leaders, a holy, godly man with years of experience of following God. But he's having a really bad day. And where is this going to lead? Because the truth is, when we're in a good place, well, it's really easy to relatively easy to resist temptation. But when things are going bad for us, it's easy to give in to stuff that we don't know is right. You know, when you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired, you know, giving in to temptation to do something that's not going to be helpful becomes so much easier. And the cycle moves from discouragement to disobedience. Because when you've already feel that you've been beaten down, sin just seems so much more enticing. And if you jump ahead in the psalm to verse 21, uh, it says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He's he's moved past and he's looking back. But what he's describing is a time when he was virtually running on animal instinct. Senseless, ignorant, can't feel anything, don't know anything, lost my senses. And you know what, guys, when we do that, it usually leads to some really bad decisions. You know, whether it's I need a drink or I need some other drug to make me feel better. I'm not thinking straight anymore. I've lost my senses and we do things that we really regret. And all of this leads to a deep lack of peace and to that the final piece of the cycle, really, which is disillusionment. And verse 16 says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. And if you are feeling disillusioned, then the last thing that you feel like doing is looking to God. In fact, life feels such hard work that most of us, when we reach that stage of deep disappointment, deep distraction, deep disillusionment, what we want to do is find something that will distract us even more. Oh, I can't face my problems. I'm just going to, whatever it is, eat, drink, binge watch TV, whatever. Shop. Joe says, I'm just going to shop, eat chocolate, whatever it is for us. And so you can see with the next slide that there is a cycle here, that distraction leads to distortion, leads to discouragement, leads to disobedience, leads to disillusionment. And for some of us today, this is our reality. That's how we are. We feel discouraged or disobedient or disillusioned. And it all came when we allowed our eyes and our thinking and our minds to be distracted away from God and I'm not saying this today to condemn or judge anyone if you're watching this and you're thinking gosh that sounds a bit like me then listen we're not here to judge you or condemn you there is grace and there is forgiveness some of us though as we look at this are realizing that some of what's what I'm describing is what's actually going on for us but that's great because it means that we can change 
And change only starts when we face reality. And so if that is reality for some of us, then this is a great place to be today. And we'd love to pray for you at the end of this talk. Because how many of us actually know that we're in a situation and something needs to change? Something about our attention leads to change. Somewhere down the line, we've become distracted and we've stopped looking at God and we've ended up falling into some of these things. Today, there's an invitation to move from disobedience or disillusionment to joy and the presence of God. And he invites us to leave this cycle and come back to him. Now, I doubt that any of us make that choice deliberately. You know, when we set out to follow Jesus, our intention is always to fix our eyes on him. But the truth is we are living in a whole culture, society that's set up to distract us. Have a look at this quote from a guy called Ronald Rollheiser. This is quoted in that John Mark Comer book I mentioned at the start. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindingly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, says Ronald Rollheiser. That's fairly full on. He continues with this. It's not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theatre, the sports stadium and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction and relentlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. That's a fairly full-on quote. It was written pre-Covid, but it's even more true for many of us in the last year. And I don't know if you recognise anything of yourself in what he's saying there, or maybe it's just in people that you know very well. That's a full-on commentary, but honestly, this is the culture we live in. And I think if we're honest, we have to admit that it has an effect, some sort of impact, some sort of influence on all of us. But the great news is that this cycle can be broken, excuse me. And it starts with getting rid of our distractions, which is different for all of us. For me, I realised that my phone is one of my main distractions. And so I went through my notifications app by app saying, what do I actually want to be distracted by? I have very few apps that I allow to bother me, one or two. If it's from my, a note from my kids or something, then I do. But, but what about you? Where are your distractions coming from? Why don't you put a comment in the chat? What is the thing that would most likely distract you away from living a life where there are moments when we can just be with God and be still? What are we allowing to captivate our attention? Where do we want it to be drawn to? No one sets out with the intention of living a distracted life or, as he puts it, um, pathological busyness. No one sets out with that intention. But the truth is we do. And then we miss the miracles that are going on around us in our family, in our colleagues, in our friends, in nature, in church, in God. But this is one of those scenarios where if we don't do something about it, we will drift. We will drift with the tide unless we're really intentional. Last summer, we were in Wales with our family and uh, my son JJ was bodyboarding in the sea and uh, the sea was a long way out. And I was with him. 
and uh, we were just playing around in in the waves and i and i was but i was really conscious that, that it was quite a strong wind and a strong tide and it was blowing us sort of down the beach and i kept sort of saying to jj we need to go back we need to deliberately walk back against the tide so that we're lined up with that house over there so that we stay sort of in connection with our family and we don't drift right onto the other side and that's what happens and actually that's a good picture of what happens with us all of us in the society we're in if we don't make intentional steps to put ourselves back over there and focus on that thing over there otherwise it will just drift so as i said at the beginning distraction leads to disillusionment but the great news is that attention leads to adoration and so while asaph is in the middle of this phase of disillusionment he has a revolution a revolution a revelation that has a real impact on him it changes him it shifts his perspective and ultimately leads him into a new cycle and it all starts with attention now jesus talks about attention throughout his life jesus kept saying things like hey stay alert keep watch don't fall asleep he was warning his followers that it's important to pay attention to what they pay attention to. We need to get our attention onto the right things. We need to make sure we're not drifting. And that's what Asaph does in verse 15. Let's read from verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, Asaph says, I would have betrayed your children. He was wise enough not to say some of the things that were going on in his head in public because he knew that that would perhaps influence or impact other people, which is a little aside. When I tried to understand all of this, Asaph says, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Asaph realised that he had become completely distracted. As soon as he stepped back into the presence of God, everything became clear. And something powerful happens when we enter the sanctuary of God. That's why we need to stay close to him, especially in this season. You know, as pastors, Joe and I do everything we can to encourage you to stay connected to the church family. Our life group leaders stay, do everything they can to encourage us to stay connected. It's not because we need your attendance. It's because God requires our attention. I'm going to say that again. You can write it down and put it on Twitter if you like, if you're that kind of person. Church is not about attendance, it's about attention. You see, when we step into God's presence, whether in the building or whether on a walk in nature, whether home alone, whether listening to our own podcast or whether we're watching church online like this, our attention shifts with God's presence. And this scenario, God's presence reminds us, oh, we're not going crazy. This is the right place. This is where I belong. This is where my life makes sense. In the presence of God, my Father, Jesus, my friend, the Holy Spirit, my comforter and helper. And God uses all kinds of different things to get our attention. But it's a hard job sometimes because we are so distracted. Sometimes God uses our pain to get our attention god doesn't cause our pain but he does have to use it sometimes to kind of give us that wake-up call sometimes god uses beauty something that just takes our breath away that breaks us out of the cycle that we're in of thinking maybe it's art or nature music or film or story but most of the time god uses the little things the ordinary things in life to get our attention and it's those small things, those normal moments of the day when we meet with God, when we find him in the everyday life. 
Have a look at this quote from a guy called Greg Boyd. The fact is, he says, if we can't discern God's presence in our day-to-day -day lives, it's unlikely we'll find him at a revival. We may find a lot of excitement, some great speakers, superb music, and maybe even some signs and wonders. But unless a person learns to find God as much in the ordinary as in the exciting, then the exciting will do nothing more than serve as a momentary distraction. Attention leads to awareness. Look at verse 18 in the psalm. Surely, Asaph says, you've placed them on slippery ground. You can cast them down. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? How completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Earlier, Asaph has been complaining about the rich, but it all disappears as he looks to God. He regains his sense of reality of good and evil of consequences and reaping of sowing and joy and sorrow all of them come back into focus as he pays attention to God attention leads to awareness which in turn leads to acknowledgement and verse 23 says yet I am always with you Asaph says you hold me by your right hand you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you take me into glory this is Asaph who just a few verses earlier was saying, where are you, God? What is the point in serving you? What is the point in pursuing holiness? By now, Asaph is acknowledging God. He says, you're with me. You're with me in this. You've got my back. You will guide me. You will counsel me. You hold me. You will take me into glory. Attention leads to awareness. Awareness leads to acknowledgement. And acknowledgement leads to appreciation. And one of the best known verses in this psalm is verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. I love that. What an incredible shift in perspective. From I envied the prosperity of the wicked to earth has nothing I desire. Asaph has come to a place of perfect clarity. He's awake and alive to God and all the good things that come from God. And this ultimately leads to adoration as he worships God simply for who he is. And the psalm ends up in verse 28 where he says, But as for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Attention leads to awareness, leads to acknowledgement leads to appreciation, which leads to adoration. And of course, the more we worship and adore God, the more attention we give him. And so we go back around the cycle even more. Ultimately, attention is also a cycle, just like that cycle of distraction. But it leads to a very different result. Attention leads to awareness. Awareness leads to acknowledgement and appreciation and adoration. And hopefully you can see that where we start on this cycle takes us to where we end up. There's a summary here on the last slide or the next slide. Sorry. The key of this seems to be that if you don't want to live in disillusionment or disobedience, then it's a good thing to avoid distraction. And if we want to live in adoration and appreciation then we need to think about what we pay attention to. We need to pay attention to what we pay attention to. We need to pay attention to what we pay attention to. 
And that takes us neatly back to Paul's talk from last week, which is all about keeping our focus on Jesus. And so what's going to happen is we're going to be quiet right now and I'm just going to lead us in a prayer and maybe so, and just a moment. And then we're going to have our worship time. And Graham and the guys recorded some worship earlier this week. They've done a lovely job of it. And this is a brilliant opportunity to come before God wherever we are. So why don't we be quiet? Why don't we close our eyes? And why don't we just open our hearts? And maybe if you're able to open your hands, just as a way of showing God, I'm open and I'm ready for whatever you want to say, whatever you want, you to, whatever you want to do. And so, Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. And I thank you. Thank you that you are with us. And thank you for this teaching that we can see through this psalm. Lord, we've read this guy's journey here and it wasn't an easy journey, but it's enlightening to us. Lord, we don't want to live in distraction, disillusionment, discouragement, disobedience. We don't want to live in that place. We want to live in the place of attention and adoration, of appreciation and acknowledgement of who you are. And so, Lord, for those of us who are in that place, maybe I'm just going to... What we're going to do is I just want to encourage you to confess this to the Lord. If if this is a moment to just talk to him about something, then why don't we do that? I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer of confession. And why don't you just echo my words, and my thoughts under your breath? For any of us who have found ourselves in a place of distraction, who found ourselves in a place of discouragement, disillusionment. I'm going to pray. Father, we are so sorry for the place that we've found ourselves. We have taken our eyes off you. We have allowed the scenario and the situation around us to, to distract us away from putting our first love and our focus onto you. Forgive us, we pray. Father, where we have done that, please come and meet with us. We are sorry. Thank you that when we confess our sins, that you died for us and you saved us and you forgive us. And guys, if we've, if we've confessed our sins, then, then the Lord says we don't need to hold on to that stuff. We just need to choose a different path. And today, Lord, we choose to place our attention onto you again. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Saviour who died for us on the cross, who rose to life, who offers us life. Come by your presence, Holy Spirit, and meet with us in our homes, in our hearts, wherever we are today. And as we go into this worship time, would you come and be with us and just minister to us as we minister to you? I pray for a refocusing I pray that you would enjoy our worship and that as we put our attention on you, I pray for a real deep connection. Holy Spirit, come we pray.